they started kind of pushing forward and basically they, they would just go up to one guy, the guy at the back of the line, right? You got like a hundred police officers standing there. Get in your car, move out, you're getting arrested. So we move forward, they come to the next guy, they come to the next guy. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize the faith. And a fake laugh on three. One, two, three. <laughs> oh, oh welcome to a, another episode you're about to enjoy from Carbon Affiliate Podcast. Nice. That was before a great we, recovery. Before we get there, I just want <laughs> thanks, brother. Before we get there, we want to make sure you're aware uh, we are donating 20% uh, right now off of our Hold the Line shirt and sweatshirt to the Liberty Coalition in Canada. And they are doing phenomenal work, aren't they, Jesse? They are doing phenomenal work, and there is a line, and they are holding it. Uh, we want to make sure that the funds get to the front lines as best that, I mean, God's just put us in this situation. So, as God wills, we want to be able to get funds into the hands of the people fighting on the front lines. There is a lot of fake narrative out there. There's a lot of fake news out there. And uh, the Liberty Coalition Canada is fighting hard uh, and pushing truth in a world of darkness and lies. And so, uh, yes, 20% off of the uh, U.S. and Canadian lines of Hold the Line sweatshirts and t-shirts will be going to them for as long as necessary. Yep, and when you log into the CarpeFide.com uh, store, what you will find, CarpeFide.com slash shop, is your option to choose shopping in the U.S. or in Canada. One URL to rule them all. Yeah, so as soon as you log, you can you pop one, one. shop to buy them. CarpeFide.com slash shop. <laughs> You choose your country, you find your shirt, you buy it. Uh, Liberty Coalition Canada keeping eyes on the front line of the uh, trucker convoy and the freedom protests in Canada. Uh, we should be standing boldly, church, with them. Uh, they are they are Christian men who began the Liberty Coalition uh, as they needed as the mandates overreached and tried to shut down churches, and they began it in a direct confrontation to the tyrannical dictates of the government. So, jump on there, grab a shirt, put it on your body. Wear it and have awkward conversations for the glory of God and the good of all men. Carpe Fide. Bold Christian apparel for bold Christian people. Do it. Have a nice episode. Bye. Bye. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast. This is episode, I don't remember. 56. 56. <laughs> it's right there. I it's right. I put it in the thing. Episode 56. And uh, tonight we have a very special episode where we're calling it the Billy Chat because we're talking with one of those Billy Club members up in Canada, those rebel rousers, what with them wanting to worship God with their churches and such um, in the face of tyrannical dictatorship. <laughs> Um, and uh, they really so, have an ear for uh, single guitar strings being amplified. Oh man, <laughs> what an article that was! <laughs> still waiting for anyway. Uh, nope, still, nope. Just still not waiting gonna, for that clarification. Different, different podcast. All right. Uh, so we're speaking with the good Reverend Doctor Aaron Rock uh, from Harvest Windsor, and um, if I'm messing anything up, you're going to correct me, right? Yep, I got you. You're, so no, far. you're doing great so far, actually. Um, you're doing my, well. Thank you, thank you, Doctor. I get the geocentricities <laughs> of Canada a little. A little mixed up sometimes. <laughs> you got like only like what eight, seven, eight provinces, eight provinces, ten provinces, oh, ten provinces. And three territories. But they're so big, vast. Yeah, they're big. They go all the way up to like the North Pole. <laughs> just keep going up to Santa. 
Um, so what we wanted to do is catch up with him uh, about what has been happening, um, just some of the most recent happenings with the um, trucker convoy, the Freedom Trucker Convoy up there, and then the, the bridge closings. And he's been on boots on the ground uh, trying to uh, really establish the objective source of Christ and the source of all, the, the literal source of all freedom uh, with those that are on the ground there. So, Reverend Doctor Rock, you've had a busy couple of weeks. Yes, it's been uh, it's been interesting. I've been from one side of the province to the other. I, I've spent a total of six days in Ottawa on two different trips, and then of course I live in the Windsor region. So we've been right in the thick of the covering the blockades and talking with the protesters and participating in that. So it, it has been exhausting, but at the same time, uh, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but the Lord is our strength. Mm-hmm. And I do feel strengthened and encouraged in a strange way by by the Lord and what he's accomplishing. So thanks for um, thanks for the invitation to, to come and chat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there, there's a lot of stuff that's going on and, and people really need to know about it. Um, so uh, we're really thankful to, to have you talk about it. So how long have these uh we we've done podcasts on the trucker convoy so i don't i don't know if we need to go into too too terrible too much terrible detail uh about what's going on as far as like how that started and everything but how long have they been going for it's been since like since what like uh well this would be i would say it's been about 3 weeks mm-hmm. since they went up and um yeah, because I was there last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I was there the previous Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I think it was the previous Friday to that or so that they arrived. Yep. So about three weeks. I know some guys there personally, and as you've probably seen time and time again, the uh, mainstream media is really covering it quite poorly, but the individuals you know, that we know myself and others that have been up there. I mean, you've seen, you've seen the pictures. It's kind of, I would say it all, it does feel like kind of a giant carnival slash family reunion slash fair. There's people on the streets with barbecues, cooking food and serving people they don't know. And the, um, on the weekends, I've not been been there on the weekends because of the church, but they have bouncy castles for the kids, and we've held awesome. prayer services on the the hill and that sort of thing. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've seen like bounce houses and and stuff like that. There was one. There was yeah. one meme somebody sent over. It was a it was a set of police officers saying that they recovered they recovered evidence at the scene of a crime, and on the table is like a little picture of a bounce house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, that's good. Yeah. Meme yeah. game is on point coming out of there, there was another one where it had a bunch of jerry cans. We, we've got their contraband, and it was just, <laughs> just jerry cans. Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. There was lots of jokes going around about smuggling in jerry cans and baby strollers, and if you get pulled over and ask what your baby's name is, uh, you just say, well, it's Jerry. Jerry. It's Jerry. Right Jerry. So, yeah. Jerry Jerry's sleeping. sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, so so you, you talked a little bit about, like, the, the media malfeasance. What kind of stuff were, like, what kind of stuff specifically, because I've been following that a little bit, and it, it seems pretty despicable. What kind of stuff were you hearing uh, from, like, uh, the CBC and other outlets versus what you saw when you were on the ground? Yeah. Well, the CBC will use terminology like an occupation or an illegal occupation 
They'll complain about the economic impact that it has on the citizens of Ottawa. They'll regularly quote from people that live there saying to the rest of Canadians, keep in mind it is our capital city, go home as Mm. if the city somehow doesn't belong to all of Canada. Mm. So you get that kind of rhetoric. And then, of course, they're just very quick to quote the prime minister and others, whether they're calling it, you know, calling the protesters misogynists or racists or that kind of thing. They're very willing to do that. Um, And of course they interview law enforcement that are spitting and hollering because the protesters are there. But when I was there, of course, um, I mean, the total time I was there, I saw first time I saw one and actually had some words with them, counter protesters, counter protester. And I think the second time, I think the second time I saw three or four, but um, we, we met people from Ottawa that were very supportive of the protest. And, of course, you know, there's been a hack and they found out the names of all the people that donated to it. Like, who cares? It's if that's a big deal. There Many they are. They're all there in Ottawa the streets. <laughs> Many of them are Ottawa residents. There's oh, several wow. that are Ottawa residents, even Ottawa businesses. So what I've been saying to people with regard to this go home thing is you live in the capital city. It's our city. I can go anywhere in Canada I want. And I just said to the guy, don't tell me to go home. This is a, these are our parliament buildings. We, we have the right to be here. And if we need to be here for the purposes that we were here for, it's an offense to tell us to go home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be like you guys going to Washington DC and someone saying, get out of here. This isn't your, this isn't your city. Take yeah. a hike. Yeah. So th- those are some of the things that we've experienced. Did you see any of this? Um, well, I mean, Trudeau has mentioned that there's been violence. Did you did were you able to witness any violence, whether it no. be at the bridge or or in front of the legislative building? No, 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 not, nothing like that whatsoever. There was um, there, there's no there's been no violence. I mean, it's a big city, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Ottawa's about a million people on a on, on a normal day. So I would expect that in a city like that on on a normal day there's going to be arrests and there's going to be right. drunks in the streets and whatnot. But when I was there, there wasn't even anything like remotely close to that. It was uh, completely um, free and clear. People were, people were kind. Uh, people were law abiding. Right. People were sweeping the streets. They were salting the streets. The police that we encountered were were pretty kind as well. There was no run-ins between the citizens and the police officers. It, it was it was really quite a nice nice environment, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, that's 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 different than the way that they're painting both the the, the you know the interactions the law enforcement are having to have are are pro- they're saying that they're very strained. They're 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 communicating that there's violence and unrest. Yeah, Even no, that's not that's not true. Obviously, there's stress on the police, but that's political stress Mm -hmm. because there are many that would want them to shoo the protesters out of town. See, I don't know how this works in in the U.S., but in Windsor, for example, the mayor of the city is also the chairman of the police services board. So we have an elected official who's the chair of the police services board. So what happens then is if the police are directed to do something, oftentimes that would be coming from the person that's also serving as the mayor. So you end up with politicized police departments. Hmm. And in the same way, uh, Williams, the mayor of 
uh, or Watson, Jim Watson, the mayor of, of Ottawa, is giving direction to the police, which under normal circumstances kind of makes sense. But when you're in a highly politicized environment, there really should be a separation between the police forces and elected officials, I believe. Otherwise, you have politicized police services. And I think that's what we're seeing. Right. The police, I would say, if I were to guess, I've talked to other people about this, I would guess that 75% of Canadian police officers are on our side. Hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're run-of-the-mill, blue-collar workers. They're generally, you know, down-to-earth folks. And they, they're, they're generally relatively fit. They're not concerned about dying from a virus. And they, they're patriotic they're on board. Right. Right. But they also, just like with pastors, there's a lot of pastors that actually agree with our position, but for various reasons, they're too afraid to say anything. Right. So we do have examples of, you know, police, police, many police officers, I think disagree with what's going on, but they just won't come out and say it. And if push comes to shove and they're told to go in and clear out the protesters, they'll go in and clear out the protesters. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the, the separation that we have is usually the, the well what you really have there is is this this tremendous conflict of interests you have a you have a judge dread situation there as the mayor is in charge of the the city <laughs> but he's also in charge of the police it really mm-hmm. makes him kind of not only the executive but also the legislative and mixing in with some of the even the judiciary kind of like responsibilities it's kind of it feels right. it feels like it gets real it could get it could potentially be very messy when you think about yes. it yeah um, we definitely have a little more separation even when the sheriff is in an elected position it's specifically to the the police they're they're the sheriff of this area and norm- okay. normally it's not even elected normally it is a strictly a, a police position the police chief um, I see. At least locally here. I mean, I'm sure it may, maybe it's different in other states because you know how this, we have we, this whole have a sovereignty thing of states. And well, they we have a sheriff all. in our county. Yeah, county sheriff. And that's an elected position. Yeah. I actually yeah. like the idea, but not have that be the same as a mayor. Yeah. The, uh, the, not have our sheriff also be mayor sheriff. Mayor. Yeah. yeah that, that mayor sheriff would be a problem. Yeah. You can say, just for, the, for <laughs> just like you're saying, it's for this type of an issue yeah. where there's a yeah. political wind change and. And that benefits the the mayor, then you can have a real conflict of interests going yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, d- despite all of the racists and homophobes that there are walking about the streets of Ottawa, it seems to be a, a fairly a fairly <laughs> fairly nice place to be. Yeah, what's up with that? Right confe- How did you guys even get a Confederate flag up there? I saw that guy walking around. I'm like, they don't they they didn't have a civil war. Where is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got a lot of local shops stocking up on the old Confederate flags up there, do you? <laughs> Well, I think I think pretty much everybody knows that guy was a plant. Oh, yeah. He's only got oh, in yeah. the crowd fully masked, and when he was called out by the legitimate protesters, he scampered off. Yeah, he's just and he hasn't been seen since. <laughs> he's like he Good. was like Homer Bush's receding or Homer receding into the bushes. Homer Simpson just receding. Into the, <laughs> it's like where did he go? He was here a second ago. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd racist Southern man go? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, I mean, so uh, <laughs> so that's on the ground in Ottawa. I mean. Uh, yesterday, well, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Yesterday, uh, the, the Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau said that he was enacting the Emergencies Act, which, uh, from what I understand, uh, is a kind of like a revamp of some wartime acts and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And uh, under this name, I think it's the. Am I getting this right? It's the first time that this has been uh, evoked since its renaming. 
Uh, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So it used to be called the War Measures Act. I think that came into being around World War, just before World War One, if I recall. That was in place. It was invoked three times: World War One, World War Two, and might have been the Korean War. I can't remember. But there was another incident. It might have been a, a crisis in Quebec. I just can't recall the third. But the Emergencies Act came in place in 1988 as an act of parliament, and it's never been used. So it's supposed to be basically, it basically more or less puts a region, whatever the region in crisis, if it's a whole country, it would apply to the whole country, or if it's a particular province or city, it would put that region essentially under like a military type rule, martial law, you might call it. Right. And it's supposed to be for extreme circumstances. If um, a tornado swept through and ripped out, you know, 50% of a city or someone dropped an A-bomb on a city or something like that. Well, the reason why it's quite despicable for Trudeau to use the Emergency Act, again, for the first time in Canadian history since it's been law, is because there's a protest out front of his parliament buildings, and he hasn't even come out and had a conversation, not one single conversation with anyone. Mm -hmm. And he's essentially trying to crush peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. he's like it's not peaceful this is his rhetoric right i mean you know you know how some of these slimy politicians are they create their own narrative to try to vilify their opponents yeah and then once they believe they've been successful at that then they you know open their toolbox and they rummage through it for the biggest hammer they have right and this is the biggest hammer they have and they try to smash their opponents with it mm. and windsor you know they kind of took out the second biggest hammer which is the criminal code to threaten and smash the protesters here. Yeah, they they were they were charging them with like mischief charges and stuff like that, right? Is, is that the justification there? Or? Correct. So it's yeah. called criminal mischief, criminal mischief, and that is a criminal charge. So in the Canadian Criminal Code, if that charge holds up, then you have a criminal record. So you can't you could have a problem getting a firearm if you ever wanted a firearm, or if you currently have one, you lose your firearms license. You'd, you'd have some difficulties getting several different kinds of jobs. And you probably wouldn't be able to leave the country potentially ever again, unless you had some sort of exoneration at some point in the future. Wow. So, you know, several people were charged into the criminal code. I mean, I've been charged several times as well, but that's under a, a provincial statute. But under the, um, under the criminal code, the long-term consequences of that is pretty severe because you now have a criminal record. Hmm. Yeah. So it'd be like committing a felony here. Got it. Correct. That's yeah. uh that's disturbing. So, so that, that that pretty much, you it, when we are when we're trying to piece together the timeline, what it looked like had happened is you actually had agreed to open up por- a, a lane of traffic each way on the bridge initially, but that was not appeasing enough in to to the to the the local government and and they wanted more. Is that in essence what happened? So when, when the bridge was blockaded, it was actually on a Monday and I had just left for Ottawa. So we were driving to Ottawa and we heard about the blockade forming in, in Windsor. I, I hadn't heard that that was going to happen. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're in Ottawa. We were like, it's kind of exciting. We got to get back to Windsor, get back home because there's some stuff going on down there. And uh, typically it was sort of like open, close, open, close. The day that the big takedown uh, was put put forward which was it started early on saturday morning 
and more or less finished up by Sunday mid-afternoon. At the point that the police surrounded us, I, I happened to have just shown up on on the um, Saturday morning. I was there for about literally 60 seconds. And we heard this big shout and the police just came streaming out of these vehicles into this big line. And I thought for sure I was going to get arrested as well at that point. And uh, they they started kind of pushing forward and basically they, they would just go up to one guy, the guy at the back of the line, right? You got like a hundred police officers standing there, get in your car, move out, you're getting arrested. So he'd move forward. They come to the next guy, they come to the next guy and they kind of paused. And so I went over to, to talk to them and I said, what are you guys doing? Like, what is it that you want? There's a lane open going onto the bridge. There's a lane open coming off the bridge. What do you guys want? You haven't even talked to the protesters. No elected politician has talked to the protesters. That you've never given them the injunction that the court put in place. You didn't provide them with any information. Hmm. So that's the problem, right? Everyone assumes you're going to get all the, your legal information from the media. And uh, then, you know, I, they, they kind of sent over some intermediaries. And I said, well, I'll, I'll relay information to the, to the main group of protesters at the foot of the bridge. Now, just just to kind of set some perspective on this, in Ottawa, there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people on the weekends. I don't, I don't even know how many, but 10, 20, 50, I don't know. There's thousands of people on the weekends. During the week, kind of in the downtown core, <clears throat> holding the line, I would, I would guess there's probably 2,000. Hmm. Well, when the police surrounded the protesters, there was about 50 people there. So... You essentially have maybe at that point two, three, four police officers for every citizen. Wow! So there's there's no way you're going to win that, right? That was a, that was like eight eight thirty in the morning, if I remember correctly. Correct. Very early Saturday on, on the Saturday. Yeah, correct. yeah. We were watching the live stream. We were so. we were yeah. That's when we were praying in precatory prayers. Okay. Very frustrated that we weren't there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. We, we were wishing so, we were there, but we. <laughs> So the guys decided they're going to move off. They're going to move off very slow. They're going to move off very slow. Just that group right at the foot of the bridge. So then you go across the stoplight, the streetlight, the intersection. They left that open. And you got another maybe 20 cars or 20 pickup trucks and a couple larger vehicles on the other side. So once they start, the, the small group that realized they were overwhelmed, we were all going to stay there and get arrested. But if the, the main truck owners weren't going to stay and we were just going to kind of move forward with them. So we moved forward with them. And then, you know, this, this probably took an hour. So in that time, I guess I got it on social media or maybe just the time of the day. So we're pushing now maybe nine o'clock. So now the, the protest on the other side starts to grow to maybe a couple hundred people. Well, that's when the police line was sort of stalled and that, that continued to grow maybe, maybe to 500 at the most, I would say. And there was kind of this standoff on here in church. So there's like eight lanes, I think, of traffic. So there's a row of police across that entire road, up onto the lawns, up on either side. And they were basically pushing. They, they'd, you know, give a shout. They'd move forward several feet and stop. And then they'd wait and move forward several feet. And at, at one point, you know, it's in their best interest not to get hurt and nothing weird to happen. So they just stood there for hours. And that went on into the evening. And then by by nightfall, you had about 25 diehards that were, you know, 25, 30-year-old guys that stayed up all night, literally now standing on a road 
Yeah, it's pretty. It's been a cold winter, right? So no, no shelter, no pickup trucks, no nothing. So they're standing out on a cold road until seven thirty, eight in the morning, and that's when they got this group of twenty five got surrounded by about seventy five officers, mm. and the guys with um, firearms licenses or families decided to leave because there's more on the line. Mm-hmm. You, know, you lose all that. And then some guys just decided on principle to stay and get arrested. And then for the rest of that day, as members of the larger group came back, the police were continuing to shoot them out of the area down the road around the corner. So I, I would say the area they cleared was, I would guess maybe a kilometer long, which mm. would be, you know, let's just say a, let's just say a, a mile or a little less than a mile down right. and around a corner, and then there were several arrests on Sunday afternoon, which were quite dramatic to to witness. Actually, mm. yeah, we definitely saw some some very interesting videos. I don't even know I don't even know which bridge it was where there where the where they were literally singing the Canadian national anthem as the line of police were coming. To meet them. Yeah, I, we were getting those videos this morning. I yeah, think. that was pretty dramatic. Yeah. There's, yeah. It, it's, it's very, dis, it's just very dystopian, um, and mm. I'm, I'm struck by that, um, and, and I'm wondering, you, you have uh, this large, this large scale protest happening in Ottawa. You have many, many uh, spinoff protests happening throughout many the, the different provinces, and, and, and even provinces at, yeah. provinces at, at bridges. Um, and, and in towns that we have these, these going on and, mm. and then the emergencies act is, is thrown down and, and you see this pushback from the police. And one of the, one of the things I struggle with, and this is kind of the question you have offered a redress of grievances. You are peacefully protesting and making sure that your, your injustices are heard at what what's the next step um like is there another way what else can we do um and this is a question what do you do what do we do as the church what do you do as a canadian citizen at this point when you're at this point of the process right Right. so under normal circumstances when you have grievances you either wait till an election or you petition or you stand on a lawn and signs or you continue to call, call, call your member of parliament, your member of provincial parliament, your mayor, whoever it is that you have the grievance with. And generally, at some point, there's negotiations or conversations and some sort of compromise is made or there's a clear win or a clear loss. What, what we've witnessed at the bridge and what we've witnessed in Ottawa is people are willing to break some of the civil laws because they believe that the government and rightly so has unnecessarily suspended human rights, essentially what we would call natural laws, Mm -hmm. laws that are not granted to us by the state. So for example, the state, they don't have the authority to decide whether or not you can work or not, whether you can worship or not, whether or not you can have children, whether or not you can, travel within your own country or even leave your own country. These are not decisions that the state has been granted. These are pre-political rights. These are divinely given rights. These are inherited rights. And because those rights have been suspended in Canada for, for essentially for two years now, 
people are starting to feel more and more comfortable blockading bridges and parking on streets for weeks on end, occupying provincial roads because they haven't been heard. And what I've said to the police is if you don't buckle to that, as eventually you end up pushing a country into some sort of a civil war, or you end up with some sort of a physical conflict. So it's, it's within the best interest of a state to negotiate with these folks. But from a, from a Christian perspective, I mean, obviously we, we want to be praying about this because we want God to intervene, but we also want to pray that the Lord will use these circumstances as he sees fit. I'm personally very encouraged most days because as the world falls apart, so to speak, I see more and more people being reminded of their need for Christ. And so we have lots of people getting saved. There'll probably be be a few more between now and Sunday, but I think we already have 25 people ready to be baptized as new believers on Sunday in our church. That's beautiful. And we're, we're seeing that in a lot of churches, like people are, people are waking up to the fact that we live in a a broken world. Hmm. And so we want to leverage every ministry opportunity. When I was in Ottawa, you know, I had the opportunity to preach and teach and lead worship. And especially the second time I was there, there was street evangelists. It seemed like there was almost more street evangelists than there were run-of-the-mill protesters. (laughs) I mean, there was a lot of Christian ministry going on. Just before I jumped on this podcast, I was actually surprisingly reading a CBC article where they were talking about the evangelical influence at the protest. And I, I got about you know three quarters of the way through it before I had to come on. I, I was shocked. It was actually fairly positive. Hmm. I mean, maybe the ending's bad. I don't know yet. I haven't read it all. Hmm. But there's a lot of ministry taking place. So we're seeing all that. Um, I think right now it's really a battle of words and will. So there's been no physical altercations at this point. It's a battle of words and will. So we need to keep the word war up. You know, the preaching, the social media posts, the podcast, the, the article writing, keep fighting against the narrative. But it's also important for us to take a long-term view of this. So we, th- we need to think as incrementalists, because when you have crises like this erupt within a nation, we need to understand that these crises didn't start two years ago. The seeds were planted decades back. So we have to push for cultural reform. And that generally is a multi-generational task. So we have to learn patience and we have to think long-term and just keep doing the right thing day in, day out, day in, day out. And then when you start looking back on 100 days or one year or two years, you, you'll see that incremental change as we've already seen um, you know, take place on, on certainly in the hearts and minds of men. Right. So the politicians especially on a federal level, have not yet bent. Just today, two days ago, our, the premier of our province, Doug Ford, was one of the only premiers championing Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act. Today, he's up. We got to end all this. We got to get rid of masks, <laughs> vaccines, you know. Yeah. Whether you have one vaccine or 10 vaccines, you're, you're still going to get COVID. We're just like, is this like his body double? Uh, it was a head scratcher, <laughs> wasn't it? That was a head scratcher. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, you, I'm like, what? even I'm like, who what is this on? guy? Like, <laughs> it, it's, did his tranquilizers wear off? Like, what on earth? The aliens are here, and they have they have snatched yeah, for the body. <laughs> and he, he, you know, someone made a comment. A lawyer friend of mine 
you know, he's the most natural she's ever seen him. I guess that's what happens when you're not lying, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Ouch. Um, so I, I, um, you know, strategically there's some things they can do to hold the line in Ottawa. There's some things they can do if they end up forcibly being pushed out, but step by step, we took a stand two years ago and, at that time, the truckers didn't care, but now they care. The more and more people experience the repercussions of this status totalitarian regime we're living under, the more and more people are going to stand up. The numbers of people that are standing up are not going to be reduced. I'm, I'm, com- I'm confident in that. They're only going to increase. It might take much longer than I would like, but it's, they're only going to increase as people continue to see the tyranny in all of this. Hmm. So people have been lied to, right? I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. They say, I kind of doubt this, but they say 90% of the population has been double vaxxed. Well, as soon as they pushed out the third vaccine, which some jurisdictions tried to make a requirement to be fully vaccinated, 30, 35% of people went out and got it and it's pretty much stalled. So now they're not pushing it. Hmm. So the will of the people is going to form part of the political narrative and when politicians try to make all their epidemiology and all their health mandates pure science, that's a that's that's an absolute load. Yeah. So much of it is driven by polls and by public opinion. Yeah, yeah. it's it's we, political science. We've got a midterm election, and he, yeah. even our governor is loosening up restrictions. You know, in, in some okay. areas too. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, we have a provincial election in June, which it's interesting because our generally in Canada, if you have conservative premiers you have a liberal prime minister and then somehow it flips Hmm. so right now we have a a conservative premier who's not acting conservative at all but his two main opponents would just be you know full-on communism practically so there are three small more right-leaning parties that have sort of risen up we've been trying to and i've been part of those discussions i've i know all three leaders personally and we've been trying to encourage them to get together but you know you have different slightly different agendas you have personality conflicts and it's like guys elections coming in june so probably we're gonna have to put up with more of the same for another four years right is is the reality of it it's well that's politics for you (laughs) yeah Yeah. it really is you have so many questions Where, where, where are you headed next uh, I don't know. I I would really like to um, I would really like to uh, get into some of these some of these more personal ones. So, um, what what dangers uh, do do Christian men and women have to watch out for in intense times like these? So, um, I'll, I'll give kind of like a for instance, and then I'll, I'll I'll let you take the wheel. So, yesterday I was very angry. I was very uh, sad. Um, and um, it, there was almost this this physical reaction within me to to the news. I was I was very upset, you know, for Canada. And I, at this point, we were concerned we had too many Canadian friends. We're like, oh no, we we have too many Canadian friends now. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, all right, Justin, grab your pocket knives. We're marching to Canada. <laughs> you know? And um, so so and and we we the the, pe- the Canadians that we talked to have been under you know because you've experienced such. Such mental and emotional and physical stress and duress for two years that hasn't let up, and so as tensions are rising, as as the government seems to be ratcheting tensions up, 
what what type of what type of sins what type of ploys of our enemy should should Christians in Canada be watching out for um, and say no to or combat? What what type of uh, pitfalls do you think are are here or are coming? I think the number one pitfall is discouragement and despair. This is something that I'm, you know, very cautious of. I just, I just try not to let that into my mind at all. Now, some personalities are more predisposed to that. I'm, I'm not really predisposed to that. I mean, I do, I do have times that I'm discouraged, but you know, if I had a besetting sin, it would be unrighteous anger. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I try to keep that as righteous anger, but the, I I think a lot of people, it, like they have a, an instant reaction of fear or dismay or discouragement by God's grace. I don't struggle with that very often um, because I, I've, I've, I've chosen to believe that God is sovereign more than just in theory. He is sovereign. And I'm actually at a point where I, I would say most days I'm more excited than not at what's happening from a spiritual perspective. So from a spiritual perspective, I'm actually glad that Justin Trudeau pulled this stunt because it further reveals who he actually is to the world. Mm. It further exposes him, you know, in, in the Exodus, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And the more he hardened his heart, I'm sure in the moment it was discouraging to the people of Israel who wanted to be free you know, yesterday, not today. But the more God hardened his heart, the more of a tyrant he was exposed to be. And so the bigger the tyrant, the bigger the fall. And so there was greater celebration in his fall than there was in, than there might've been if he just let him go on the first round. Mm-hmm. So I see God, I I think Justin Trudeau is really setting himself up for a a major face plant. And, you know, he needs to be warned. He needs to be called to repentance. I'm also excited because God is sanctifying his church. Christians are really having to count the costs a little bit more. So I have Christians calling me and and I've thought about this personally, you know, you think about, okay, if I show up at this protest and they always know who I am, you know, are they going to come and take my house? Are they going to come and empty my bank account? Are they going to come and seize the church building? I don't trust. I wouldn't put it past Justin Trudeau to do any of those things. Yeah. He wants his pound of flesh. So you think to yourself, hmm, you know what? You want to weigh wisdom. You don't want to cast your pearls before swine, but you have to. It's not just reading a book about the martyrs anymore, right? Or reading stories about people in China you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is happening. This could happen. Am I actually willing to stick my neck out for Christ? Right. And I think a lot of people are thinking about that. So this is a good thing. If the crisis went away tomorrow, it would still remain all theoretical. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, I'm excited about what God is doing, but I don't endorse evil. So I'm constantly fighting against it at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm trying to put out, uh, trains of thought for people to follow. I'm trying to train people in cultural theology where we're all talking about a Christian view of politics and law and, and these sorts of things. Um, so we, we want this evil to end because it is destroying a lot of lives, but God is also doing, I think, an amazing work. And 
unfortunately, he's also separating the wheat from the chaff within the church. I just thought we had a lot more wheat than chaff. Yeah. And it appears that we have a whole lot of chaff and very little wheat. Yeah. So that, that's a bit of a bummer at times, but I don't spend a great deal of time meditating upon that. Yeah, but I think I, I agree with you 100%. I, I, we, were, we had the opportunity to talk to uh, Michael Thiessen uh, of the Liberty Coalition. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I, I said, because of the stand you guys have been making, um, it has forced us in America to have to deal with what does God say in his word about church? What does he say mm-hmm. in his word about community? Why is it important? What is the truth? And is God's word going to govern us or are we going to govern ourselves with our own subjective whims? And mm-hmm. and poll after poll keeps coming out that that ch- religious attendance at churches or or any, almost any religious service is declining. And and I I keep saying, yeah, but I don't care because we don't need buildings filled with people that play at Christianity. We need right. buildings filled with, with the pruned vines that are bringing forth good fruit. Um, yes. And that's good. exactly what you're saying. And I, I, I could not agree more. Um, <laughs> I certainly would not want to, at this point, compare myself, you know, there's a, there's a gradation of suffering that Christian people experience. So I'm not going to compare myself to the apostle Paul's suffering or what Christians in China have experienced, but you know, we, we are suffering on a certain level. And in the same way that we have been blessed in the past by reading the biographies and stories of Christians that have stood firm in their faith, in the same way, we want to be a blessing to others. We want to be a blessing and we want to be a warning to the American church. And by the way, I I want to emphasize this again. I've told you guys this in the past, but there really is, there really is a great deal of comfort that I personally receive and I know other Christians receive from men like you. What you're doing is actually very, very important for us to, to know that there's people in a, a bigger country across the border that under normal circumstances don't even realize Canada exists. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> um, it is encouraging to see a lot of Americans paying attention to what we're doing and praying for us. That, that does bring us great joy and, um, you know, it kind of takes away those feelings of loneliness at times, especially in the early days of this fight when few, there's still very few churches that are willing to speak about it. But I now believe more and more churches agree with mm-hmm. our stance. They just might not know what to say yet. Right. So when we, when we have that, um, you know, the cheering from across the border, it, it really is, is quite important. And I was going to say, too, one very practical thing that, you know, your American listeners can do is to contact people they know in high political office in the U.S. Mm. and ask them, can you make statements? You know, can you have news conferences? Can you can you denounce what's happening in Canada? It's not uncommon for politicians to denounce atrocities in other countries. And it puts it puts it signals to those to to our leaders, for example, that that they're, they're they don't have the kind of support that they think they might have from right. you know the international community. So that's uh, obviously your your American politicians don't have any actual leverage, like legal leverage in Canada, but their opinion, I believe, will sway and will impact if it's strong enough the decisions of Canadian politicians. Yeah, I uh, one of the. Excuse me. One of the first things I was I was doing after I was angry and then sad and then 
back to angry was I like, I'm going to email my congressman. <laughs> I'm like, someone needs to know about this. Like, yeah. uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I mean, uh, I think, uh, who are we talking to? I, I forget what Excuse Senator me. was it, was it Tim Scott or her Holly, maybe Josh Holly. I, I forget which, uh, which individual, you know, kind of was like, when when all of the this was pastors, a few months ago yeah like when the pastors were being charged and in prison they were, they were saying we should put we should put we should sanction them as a put them on the warning list for for religious uh um, yeah there human was a rights congressman violations. or a senator i can't remember his name i think i have that letter someplace but that that that's significant that's really significant yeah that's 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 a good move yeah so uh hopefully i mean we'll we'll Boy, we'll try. <laughs> so everybody's going to need to go out there and start Google searching your local representative, and then also your not Google senators. searchers. Don't use Google. Don't duck, duck, go, <laughs> duck, duck, go. Yes, duck, <laughs> duck, go. Just duck it and right. search just, for your senator or congressman. <laughs> <laughs> Enunciate clearly when you say that too, just because. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's important. Enunciation is important. <laughs> Um, as we wrap up, we just got have a couple more things. Uh, what, what type of, do you think that the church can really hone in on a central message, um, for their communities in, in this time? Is, is there, is there something that they should be hammering a bit harder now that, now that things are kind of moving and shaking or, or is it just business, gospel business as usual? Is there a message for the community? Do you mean like, around? do you mean, do you mean to our church communities, to the nation as a whole? I mean, uh, I'm. I mean, from churches to their respective communities all across Canada, as they okay. interact with their local cultures, is is there something that might that might be a, a good theme or something like that to to kind of hit a bit harder? Yes, I I think the the lordship of Christ over all creation is fundamental. Now, initially, like if you're in a normal sort of a circumstance, that sounds very religious and of course it is a religious statement but i think people more and more see that the connection of that to political power that in every culture and every nation there's an authority that governs that determines right and wrong and i think historically a lot of christians have made the mistake of assuming that this the secular state is moral is morally neutral it's like the playground that everyone's invited on to play. So if you have a secular playground, everybody can come and they can kind of play their own game, kick their soccer ball around, bat, you know, play, play catch, right. and everyone sort of gets along. But I think what people are realizing more and more is secularism by necessity will have a god, and that god is the god of the state. So we're seeing the state, especially in the form of our premiers and prime minister, they are really literally acting like gods hmm. in that they want to control every aspect of life. So this is sort of a, a fight for authority. And the message that I've been getting out there is, look, historically, Western civilization, of which we're all part, I mean, it used to be called Christendom, right? Right. But we sort of secularized that term. We call it the West. But these are historically all Christian countries those are the countries that Muslims wanted to move to, that Jews wanted to move to, that Hindus wanted to move to, that Buddhists wanted to move to, that atheists wanted to move to, if they were having problems in their own countries, which is fascinating. There's never been in, in recent history a migration to an atheist country hmm. or a mass migration to an Islamic country. 
or a mass migration to a Buddhist country. That's correct. Because those, those worldviews, those religious systems don't have within them this notion of individual soul liberty. But in the Christian worldview, our faith is not coercive. We, we would like for every person to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. But we actually do believe in, in the, the purest kind of liberty. And that liberty is liberty under God within God's boundaries. So I, I've been sort of pushing out this message that Christ is king, Christ is king, Christ is king. And we need to acknowledge once again that Christ is king over our nation. And of course, we can, we can reference history. You know, as a, as a, our, our, there's actually a good argument that Canada historically was a more Christian nation even than the U.S. And we not only have a, a reference to it's less, it's much less Christian now, but the history of it, the, the founding of it was, was more overtly Christian. So we have the you know, 25 or 24 scripture texts literally carved into the parliament of buildings within which Justin Trudeau has essentially set himself up as God, the new Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. We have the, the acknowledgement of the supremacy of God in our charter. We have Psalm 72.8 that's quoted in our, our Canadian motto that he might have dominion from sea to sea. Up till the 1980s, we had the Lord's Day Act, whereby you couldn't conduct business on, on Sunday on the Lord's Day. So the, these his, this historic um, Christianized, it's not Christian in the sense that everyone's a Christian, but it's been historically a Christianized culture, has only brought blessing. And since that has been sort of, God sort of been pushed out of politics and pushed out of law, and pushed out of medicine and politics, we see an erosion. So, for example, in Windsor, I moved to Windsor 20, this would be about 26, 27 years ago. And there was Grace Hospital. So one of the big hospitals was founded by the Salvation Army. There was Hotel Du that was founded by, by the Catholics. There was the University of Windsor, which used to be Assumption University. That was a Roman Catholic university. So historically, a lot of these big institutions that sort of make up culture, the hospitals, the universities, were Christian institutions. They were actually started by Christian people. But, you know, they grow and grow and grow, and they struggle with funding. Christians get cheap, so they pass it off to the state. And then the state wrecks it. Yeah. And the state throws out the Christian worldview, the Christian foundation of a lot of these institutions, and it secularizes it. So then you have you know, godless people running these institutions and they start to lie or they start to rely upon godless economic plans in order to govern these institutions, which never, never works in the long run. Right. So the further, the further, if you allow God in his law and word to govern your economic structures, your legal structures, your medical structures, your educational structures, your political structures, your marriage structures, your family structures, not only is that right and honorable to God, but people in general are blessed by that. Yes. Yes. So I I've been trying to, it might sound a little bit maybe philosophical to people that just want, okay, how do we just fix this problem? How do we fix that problem? But if you're thoughtful, you need to come to a point where the, the problem we're experiencing is not COVID. The problem is not too many mandates. 
The problem is we have a disintegrating culture that has denied the creator and king. And if we can help to see, help people to see how to bring Christ back into culture, to affect culture, this is how we bring about substantive change. But again, as I've said earlier, that's a multi-generational process. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, the only thing that makes it not a multi-generational process is indeed a civil war. And that is something that has a, yeah. has multi-generational consequence. Correct. Um, it makes it an immediate process with a multi-generational consequence. And, um, and I would, I would certainly not just knowing what happened uh, in the civil war in, in America, I would not wish that on uh, any nation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this where we pivot to talk about education? Because I love talking stop about it, education. Stop it right now. Stop it right now. I would say one thing, though. We had this, we have the exact same thing in, in America. All of our – I mean, I, I almost I almost really – I started – I almost wanted to like go back and forth with you there for a little bit because while our, our uh, national documents do – are a little more void of biblical references – um, because of the sovereignty of each state, we all of all of the state documents were um, intensely and overtly Christian, and they actually had uh, usually, they actually all had a build of requirements in there for governors uh, to take office. They actually had to affirm Christian doctrines before they were sworn in in almost every state in the union oh, when the constant when the uh, constitution was ratified. So that's very interesting stuff. But mm-hmm. you're being too nice to the church because. We all, the hospitals, the schools, uh, libraries, these were all Christian institutions that started. Um, and it's not because Christians got cheap. It's because Christians stopped being Christians. They, they, were, they were sinful and, and, and wicked and lazy. And, and there's no such thing as an, as, as an apathetic Christian. It's not possible. And, uh, and that's what happened. And, and it's been a long time. And really, I think what we've seen um, in the last two to four years has been a shaking of the dust off of a lot of Bibles. And I think, I think that, that, that sometimes I feel like I can almost see the dust in the air. (laughs) Like so many Bibles have been picked up and opened up. Um, and Christians that actually care that Christ is sovereign, uh, are starting to awaken, uh, to, to our lethargy. And I think that's a great thing. Um, I there's literally so many other questions, <laughs> we but we want to let you go. I I, I, I have one more, okay. just just one, okay. just you know one, what? and he can answer it as quick or as long as he would like. I do have one because I, I think it's important. We we've actually gotten. I I don't know why God has placed us in this scenario where Canadians are asking, "What am I supposed to do? <laughs> what what do I do now? Like this happened, I feel devastated. What what am I what am I supposed to do?" And I'm like, I mean, I I know what we all should do. <laughs> um, so but. But what ways can can all of the Canadians who who can't go to Ottawa, who who can't go to these strategic points, what can they be doing to hold the line for the kingdom in their various locales amidst this great cultural uh, ruckus that's been that's going on? What what are ways they can participate locally? Well, I think if the, if not by now, they should they should be getting behind the leaders that are naturally rising up to fight back. Hmm. Um. Fortunately, most of those people are are Christians, and you know, find someone within proximity to you and get behind that person. If it's a pastor, get into that person's teaching, participate in that person's church, because we all need to be part of a community, Amen. and we all need to be encouraged. So that's that's really important. If you have the capacity to travel to one of these locations to provide funding 
to one of these members that are doing battle on the front lines for liberty and freedom do that. I mean, the, the crowd raising platforms obviously are constantly under attack, but just get the email of someone who's on site and send e-transfers. That's a way of supporting them. Um, I think it's, I think people sometimes overuse, but underestimate the power of social media. Uh, so using social media to, to challenge the narrative, jumping online and opening those CBC articles and posting comments to the contrary. These, these are very microscopic, but they are ways of sort of advancing our cause. Oftentimes the government puts out polls through the media. You know, what do you think about the emergency act? Jump on those polls, respond to those polls. I may or may not have answered one or two of those polls. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Good. It, It makes a difference. It's, it's incremental, no one thing, no one sermon, no one protest, no one convoy, no one podcast is going to fix this. It's day after day, month after month, year after year. You keep pushing, pushing, pushing. We've been in this for two years. Obviously, I've had the opportunity to refine my own thinking in this yeah, and to refine my own message and then to help refine other people's messages. And, and slowly you, you start hearing people say things. You're like, you heard that from me. <laughs> and then I start saying things. I'm like, I heard that from him. Isn't that so the we're all, thing? we're all kind of, we're all sort of pulling together Yeah, and we're disseminating information and pushing back. Now, very practically, I, I personally am a big believer in this beachhead strategy that I've been encouraging people to think about. So if you're living off in, you know, Nowheresville, Alberta, or Nowheresville, Manitoba, or Nowheresville, Ontario, and you're sort of by yourself, it's probably time for you to move, like move to an area where there's a bit more of a resistance movement. You know, many people have checked out our area, Windsor-Essex County. They've looked at the Edmonton area, Southern Manitoba, the, the um, kind of, what do they call that area? Um, kind of Eastern Ontario these are areas where there tends to be a bit more of a resistance movement where there's churches there that you can associate with areas where the land isn't like through the roof Mm. and Christians need to think about entrepreneurship again, starting their own businesses, living in tighter communities. I'm not talking about doing the Amish thing where we're completely separate, but in the old days, the best jobs used to be the ones where you're working for the big corporation. But in a time of crisis, those are the absolute worst jobs Absolutely. to have. Because those people ax you in a heartbeat mm. if you don't agree with their ideology. <laughs> but too many Christians have hooked their wagon to the, to the state's horse. Yeah. And when the horse cuts the reins and says, I don't want you anymore, then you're stopped. Yeah. So Christians need to re- think about restarting institutions. Restarting institutions, that's going to start with educational institutions, starting good schools, starting medical institutions, starting their own businesses and employing employing like-minded people. And practical things, um, this could get a lot worse before it gets better. Like get out of debt, as much debt as possible, reduce your expenditures, moving into semi-rural areas where you have a bit more land or opportunities for safety. These are all strategic moves that Christians can make. Some people have left the country. I totally get that. And I respect people's choices in that regard. 
But I, I just kind of have this sense, and believe me, I've, I spent a lot of time thinking about that last year. I kind of have this sense that we have to hold the line here because if, you know, if all the good people, the leaders, the most spiritually exercised people run off to the U.S., I mean, you guys are really not that far behind us. And Amen. This, this, <laughs> this, 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 yeah, this disease is sweeping through the Western world. And if we don't sort of see how ugly it is in countries like Canada and try to hold the line in Canada, well, when it sweeps into the U.S., and I mean, it's already there, but when it rears its ugly head to a greater degree in the U.S., if the U.S. falls, the world falls to this. So I see ourselves as sort of advanced troops, you know, out on the, maybe out on the frontier. Mm. And we're, we're fighting against this. And, you know, who, who knows how long it'll take to win, but, or, or what that's going to look like. But the fight we're fighting is not just for Canada. It's for Western culture. And by extension, it's for the world. And ultimately, obviously, it's for the glory of God. Mm. Amen. Amen. Man, that's good stuff. Um, well, as soon as the Vax cards, uh, you know, get get thrown out up there, because the trucker convoy oh. will be successful. <laughs> I just know you got reinforcements coming. That's all I can say. Thank that's all you. I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> good. Uh, I, you said so many wonderful things there. I I I am I am impressed. It's it's this weird thing. So we, we're calling it the big sort. In, here in the states, where red states are getting redder, uh, blue states are getting bluer. Now our our colors are flipped, so red is conservative, and and blue yeah. would be more liberal. But 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 um, it's not. I don't look at it as necessarily a bad thing um, because states have sovereignty, and so if you want to be a if you want to have crazy progressive views, and I mean that in the most kind way that that could possibly be meant. We all know also, who the chaff and the wheat is in this <laughs> illustration. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then you live in a blue. Then you live in a blue state where they're going to do what your your heart desires, and and if you have conservative views and you believe that the church has a place in culture and it should be a leading edge, and, and then you find yourself in a red state. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think what you're speaking about is growing effectively in those communities and making those communities vibrant, and that that is that is a hundred percent. Um, I think I think that's exactly what the early church did. <laughs> I think people wanted to be a part of the early church because it was a vibrant, living community to the glory of God. And mm-hmm. that reflection is something that's desirous inside the soul of man as they are created in God's image. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are th- those mm-hmm. are just beautiful and powerful powerful words of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, man, I thank you. Thank you. We didn't get to, we didn't get to talk about the World Economic Forum at all, and I'm disappointed. <laughs> so we're gonna have to do that at some point. I, I yeah. next once time. you made that connection uh, to to Christia. Nope, you're uh, doing it. Fr- uh, all right, Mr. Freeland, Christia Freeland, and, and I saw that. And I'm like, oh man, because I've been on this kick for months now. I'm checking every partner oh. list. I'm checking the boards of the World Yo, Economic Klaus, Forum. Klaus, Klaus Schwab's come right out, the leader of the World Economic Forum, and we know he's in a diehard globalist boy is he and he has said i have trained half of justin trudeau's cabinet ministers Hmm. and he's very proud of justin trudeau's efforts so i I, you're an experiment you guys are literally these are conspiracy theories these are conspiracy facts now right as we're saying and the reality is is that there there's no way 
so the, everyone's asking the question, why is Trudeau being so stinking stubborn? <laughs> like, just lift the mandates, bud. Oh, like, why are you being so <laughs> ridiculously stubborn? You're going to spend millions of dollars on, on policing. You know, you're, you're, I think they've spent, what is it? Something like $14 million on policing so far, Jeez. just in Ottawa over the past three weeks. So $800,000 a day, like just Jeez. say, okay, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll remove the mandates. Why won't he do that? It has to be, he's either really arrogant, which he is. I mean, he's on, there's a video clip of him several years ago, basically saying to his wife, I get whatever I want. But so there's definitely <laughs> some prideful guy. arrogance. Sounds like a very good marriage. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely arrogant. But the second thing is he has an agenda to, attached to the agenda, a macro agenda be, be uh, over top of the micro agenda he has now. He has to maintain absolute power to usher in his globalist agenda. Like if you think Biden's left leaning, Trudeau's so left he's fallen over the cliff. And he is definitely not Fidel Castro's son. I mean, he is definitely, of course not, (laughs) definitely not Fidel Castro. But you know what? He his father was almost as dangerous, right? Um, whether it's Castro or Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, Pierre Trudeau seems like he just try- he all he did was soft pedal the same bad ideas. He just tried it to make it a little sa- he tried to maybe sprinkle it with some more, you know, eau de soleil to make it smell yeah. a little better, but it was the same stuff. Well, this is why this is why I did that podcast a while ago on who I think is the most dangerous man in North America. And you know, three quarters of the way through, I, I do the reveal. It, I believe Justin Trudeau is the most dangerous man in North America. People might think, well, no, it has to be Joe Biden because Joe Biden, you know, is the president of the United States. He's fallen off the stage, well, man. He can't be dangerous. Yeah, well, the thing of it is, is in the U.S., they still have checks and balances that, that we're supposed to have some of those here. They're not as strong. Right. You know, we're a little more laissez-faire. Mm-hmm. But Trudeau basically gets what he wants, and he's also a lot younger. I mean, this he, he just turned 50. So he's, unless the Lord takes him, he has a lot, he has a lot of years ahead of him to bring abject destruction to our country, right. either as prime minister or otherwise. By the way, under the, um, you know, in our political system, uh, if it's a party system, so whatever party has the the most seats out of the 338, I think, seats in Parliament, they are asked by the Queen to form the government. And if they have more than 50% of the seats, they have a majority government. So they can run out, you know, govern the country for four years, and then they have to call an election. But if they think it's in their advantage to call a government or an election, let's say the three and a half year mark or the three year mark, because they're up in the polls, they can do that too. So they get to choose that. But if you're in a minority government, you have to broker deals with right. other parties in order to stay in power. So the party in our, our system that's left of the liberals is the New Democrats. Jagmeet Singh's the leader. And they're, they're really crazies. I mean, they're full-on socialists. So what happens is whenever the liberals want to pass a bill that the conservatives don't, so that the conservatives don't, vote against them to the point that they'll get, you know, they'll have to call another election. They always have the NDP run up beside them and kind of buttress the liberals. But Trudeau is in a minority position right now. So he has less than 50% of the seats in parliament. 
but under the Emergency Act, he could run out his government now for five years, I believe it is, unopposed what? if he maintains emergency orders. Oh, my God. So it's within his best interest to keep the emergency orders, the Emergency Act, in place for as long as possible because then he doesn't have to worry about an election because he can say, like, it's like we're in a time of war. Hmm. Who wants an election while all the soldiers are off at war? Jeez. So that's what FDR said. And then, yeah. he, and then he died in office. He stayed in office so long. So that's yeah. it. So, oh, so man. these are some of the, the the things we need to be be getting out there to 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 get people's antennas up. Like you need to be careful about this guy. Yeah, definitely. All I can tell you, Christian, is if uh, if you're buying something, make sure that the parent company is not one of the partners on the partner page of the World Economic Forum, because <laughs> you're just giving the global elitists money to enslave you. Honestly, yes. I, I thought the most shocking, <laughs> I thought the most shocking piece of information this entire podcast was the fact that Justin Trudeau is actually married to a woman. I totally, <laughs> I totally would not have been that on him. I, I well, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's rumors going around that he's he's divorced or they're separated and they're just not revealing it. I, I don't, I have no idea. They're, I know that she was living in a different province than him for a little while. She was in Quebec and he was in Ontario, but well, hmm. you know, he probably. Probably, you know, walked to the bedroom one night in blackface and, you know, she was like, whoa, hey, <laughs> can't do that. This is, uh, this is too far. Oh, uh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and once again, he is definitely not Fidel Castro's son again. We'll just make no, sure that's clear. No, for sure. Um, uh, this has been uh, this is a joy. We uh, you are in our prayers. I know that I Thanks, felt brothers. like I was emergency text messaging you uh prayers uh, Saturday because I was just so infuriated at what was I was. I was so infuriated and I was so I had no fear that you wouldn't stand firm in Christ. That was not my fear. Um, I was only concerned uh, because I want I, I didn't want your voice to be stifled in any way because I feel like you have been such an encouragement um, and, and, a, and a, a buttress of truth um, on those lines. And I, I uh, that was the only thing that that made me uh, concerned for you. I, I was not concerned for your safety or your or your faith. I didn't believe there was any faltering there, um, but your voice has been has been very strong. Uh, we've been very, very, very grateful for it over the past several weeks. Thank you, thank you, Rose. Truly appreciate it. Yeah. All right, that's another well, that's another wrap. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, we would encourage you, Christian, this day to seize, seize the, the faith. faith. You, you can't do that. Though. All right. Well, let's try it again. We'll just do it again. Stuff. No, you, you, that was such an abbreviated ending. All right. It was my fault. We've it messed fault. it up in front of the Reverend Doctor oh, now, gosh. and now it's just embarrassing. <laughs> Well, uh, we would like to thank uh, the Reverend Dr. Aaron Rock for showing up here, uh, and uh, you can find him on the socials, and uh, he'll randomly be doing a live stream from the front lines of the protests in Canada, um, and you can also check him out uh, as he pastors Harvest Windsor. It is, um, uh, you, you get good, good sermons. There's good sermon content up there. You go ahead and click on that link and watch him, uh, watch him in his very swelt, his felt outfits up there on that stage with his passion and the word of God in hand. <laughs> and uh, that will encourage your soul as well. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and as we like to do at the end of every Carpe Fide episode, we like to encourage you, Christian, this day to, to seize, seize the, the faith. faith.